There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. All right, with us today we have Greg Farrell of First Light. He's a whitetail product manager, and we're going to dig into some new whitetail gear coming out soon. Thanks for coming on, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. What's new? What's coming up Coming up soon for uh, the whitetail line? Well, a um, few exciting additions uh, for 2022, I would say. Most notably, you know, something we've been working on for gosh, over three years now, um, is going to be the addition of a windproof membrane to our Solitude franchise of gear. Moving that same membrane, which we can, you know, talk more about the kind of the tech and the exciting part around that, uh, but moving that into the Sanctuary franchise as well. Um, and then we have some some pretty um, exciting, you know, more active insulation pieces, transitional layering pieces that we would call them in both the source, which is kind of the white tailor's puffy jacket, if you will. And then um, also the uh, origin hoodie, which is kind of a, you know, your tried and true fleece mid-layer, you know, another active insulation mid-layer piece. Um, so, yeah, that's, those are kind of the big hitters for 2022. When are those going to be available? They're all available as of now. There you go. We know what's what's coming down. Well, well, it's all available now. Let's dive in and talk a little bit about what uh, what it is. Yeah. And I think we should go talk about the windproofness of these, the solitude and the sanctuary. I guess, like, tell me, first of all, why wasn't the old uh, solitude and sanctuary windproof? That's a great question. So, um, you know, both of those pieces um, in their original iterations we would call them highly wind resistant. And they were kind of wind resistant um, by nature because of the makeup. There are multiple layers of both textile and insulation. And as you start to, you know, layer those things, put them on top of each other, you're inherently creating a barrier for things to pass through. Um, However, we have always listened to customer feedback. We've always listened to, you know, our team's feedback and found, especially in the Solitude franchise, that just wasn't quite enough which led us, you know, into our search for how do you make um, a piece like the Solitude not only windproof, which is really easy to do. It's mm-hmm. really easy to make a piece windproof, but where it, sure. gets, where it gets hard is how do you make it windproof and quiet? Um, because inherently a most windproof membranes, which is what you would use to make it windproof, would be noisy. Correct, yeah. So most windproof membranes, because they're, they're either a very shut down fabric, which means the weave is really tight, mm-hmm. um, or they have some type of, you know, post uh, weave finishing done to them. Like if you think of a traditional puffy jacket, you know, they're always kind of shiny. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a sere is what they call it. So they essentially take a hot iron, press it on top of the fabric and it melts the surface of it. 
um, makes it a little more crispy, if you will, but it's basically plugging all the pores, which is why it's windproof. However, that's okay, why so now, crunchy. but we're talking more now about like the exterior fabrics, not so much like a membrane inside of the jacket. They're basically the same thing, right? So when somebody's putting a windproof membrane into a into a jacket, mm-hmm. it's not dissimilar from uh, most of the, like the exterior fabrics that you'd see on like a puffy jacket. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. But now you're gonna get me all <laughs> confused. <laughs> But the exterior of a jacket is not usually like a, a breathable laminate or whatever they call it, right? Well, it depends, right? So if you look at like um, like a waterproof breathable, for example, mm-hmm. so a rain jacket, yeah, that is inherently windproof because it's waterproof. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's shut down enough that if water can't get through, wind's not going to come through either. Now the process of making a piece like that. You're stacking layers of fabrics or membranes together. You're essentially gluing them together, right? At mm-hmm. a very high level, like simplistic way of thinking about it, you're you're building a sandwich out of these different materials. Mm-hmm. Um, but in like an outerwear piece, like the Solitude, for example, you know, which we originally started talking about, most of the time, you know, people are accomplishing windproofness in a jacket like that by putting, you know, what we call a membrane, but it's basically just a layer of fabric that has those same windproof um, capabilities inside of that garment. So we, we call it technically like a hanging membrane. So it's sewn in into your sandwich, right? Like you have a face fabric, you have insulation, you have this other quote unquote membrane or other piece of fabric that's windproof and you have a liner and you put those together in a configuration where you're trying to trap as much heat as possible to keep yourself warm. And you're also keeping the wind from coming through that garment. And yet all the But they're loud usually. Yeah, typically they're loud. So normally to get things windproof, like I said, you know, you have to do some type of finish that inherently makes it loud or the type of the way the fabric is actually put together, you know, from the fiber level, it's done so in a way that it's noisy because it's so, it's so tightly woven or the nature of the fibers themselves, right? Depending on what they are. Um, they're just a louder material in order to get that windproofness. So it's really kind of the, you know, it's, it's the unicorn, right? Like how do you get something to be windproof, but not have a bunch of noise added to the garment when you add it in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause anybody can just wear a, uh, you know, like a slicker. Exactly. And it could be completely windproof, but it's gonna be hard, yeah. to, hard to draw your bow on, on a buck in that thing. Exactly. And where it gets even worse is when those garments get cold, right? Typically when things get cold, they get crunchier, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Windproof membranes or textiles typically do the same thing. So that's really the, you know, the hard nut to crack and why it's taken us as long as we did. I mean, it would have been really easy just to grab a, a membrane off the shelf and throw it in that piece. But I know both of you guys have used the solitude before, and I think I would hope you would agree it's it's extremely quiet. I mean, that thing doesn't make any noise, right? So mm-hmm. how do we maintain yeah. that quiet nature of that piece, Yeah, but yet add the windproof technology to it? Okay. So how'd you do it? So, you know, we started with kind of these traditional membranes and just started plucking away, trying different weaves, trying different densities, trying different finishing techniques. You know, so we talked about like the CRA technique. It's like, you know, if you CRA a fabric, what can you do to it after that? For example, like, you know, kind of like sandblast it or brush it to rough it back up, right? Because the more loft a fabric has, the quieter it's going to be. And we just started chipping away. It's like, okay, this works, this doesn't, you know, use a finer fiber, finer fibers of, you know, when you build a fabric out of these fibers, the finer they are, the quieter they normally are. And what are these, these fibers are mostly like a nylon fiber? Nylon polys. Yeah. I mean, depending on the membrane you're talking about, they vary. Okay. Um, and just, you know, tried one variable at a time. It's like, okay, this finer fiber created a quieter membrane. Great. That's one step in the right direction. You know, adding some type of brushing to it, um, or, or blasting to it after, you know, it was serrated. Great. That's quieter. Let's put these two things together. Oh, you know, that didn't work back to the drawing board and just piece by piece by piece. We worked with, um, you know, that textile manufacturer and it took a couple of years to get to a point where we were happy with, the windproofness, and we were happy with the noise. So, can you say who you were working with? Does yeah. it matter? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's that's not something we would necessarily. That's not something you would share. Yeah, share with the no. world. So, yeah. but you, but that that's cool that they would work with you for that long. To so they didn't have a product, but they're like, 
okay, we'll try to make what you're looking for. And so you guys just kept going back and forth, and finally they came up with it. Yeah, and I mean, they had a ton of options, right? When we first went down this road, they had a whole deck of windproof membranes. You know, they're very used to working with high-end outdoor apparel companies. Mm-hmm. They they have other companies they work with in that high-end outdoor space that use those other membranes. Just for us, we we couldn't, we had to, we had to dial in the noise component of it. And that wasn't something that, you know, a lot of people ask for. Um, you know, even in like Western, like you don't want to be, if you're a Western hunter, you don't want to be super loud, but the noise just doesn't matter as much, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not typically as close to these critters. Um, it's a mm-hmm. different, you know, critter, it's a different pursuit. So it's a little less important where for the whitetail guy or gal, it's paramount. Like noise is, you know, one of the most important things. Yeah, 100%. So tell me if when, when you guys were, had those early iterations and you guys would put it into a jacket and put it on, how, how would that noise um, present itself? Like, what did it sound like? If you had a, where you're like, man, this is no good, but what, what like, what was it like? Cause you were still like wearing a soft, puffy solitude jacket, but inside there was this like, yeah. What, I mean, was it like saran wrap inside your jacket? It, I mean, it could present itself in a number of different ways. So, you know, one of the noise issues we run into is like, yeah, like you think about like a Fritos or like a Doritos bag wrapper, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you, kind of manipulate that thing in your hand when you're trying to open it or you're grabbing chips out of it, it has that crinkly, crunchy noise to it. Sure. So certain membranes, when you put them, even though you're putting them inside of a soft, puffy jacket, that noise is still, you know, penetrating through the other textiles and you're hearing it. The other issue that you can run into um, is like a surface-to-surface, we call it. So like when you go to draw your bow, the forearm of your jacket sleeve might rub against the chest of your jacket, right? As you're bringing that bow up or drawing it. Mm-hmm. And depending on where that membrane is, because it's a more, typically a more rigid or like boardy um, textile, um, as it scrapes against itself or there's contact there, you can get like a surface to surface noise as well. Got it. So the, like from the feel of the old version of it, I guess, to the new version with the windproof in it, can yep. you... Can you tell a difference, like when you, the end user is going to feel the outside? The untrained ear, no. I mean, if somebody like, you know, for example, myself, I have spent thousands and thousands of hours with these garments. If I'm in a room with no other background noise, right, and it's just me and the two jackets, I could probably pick out which one was which. But if you get in the field, there's always a little bit of ambient noise, right? Mm-hmm. Leaves are rustling, there's a little bit of wind, you know, squirrels are making noise, whatever, birds are chirping. I can't tell the difference when I get out in the field. But it's, just t- touching it, you wouldn't feel a no, difference either. No, Mm-mm. Sweet. So you're just so when you buy the new jacket, you're just gonna have to trust Greg that's in there because you're not gonna be able to tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing too, right? Windproof is great, especially at those temperatures in which you're wearing the solitude. If wind is permeating your garment, it's always gonna make you feel colder than the actual thermometer is reading, mm-hmm. right? So that's an important aspect for a garment. That's supposed to be worn, like the, the solitude, for example, you know, I always tell people like once it gets below 50 down to like kind of that freezing point, you know, that's your sweet spot for that garment. And in those temperatures, winds matters, right? Because a windy day when it's 45 feels a whole lot colder than a calm day when it's 45. Mm-hmm. But the other cool thing about these membranes um, and the other improvement that people are going to notice is obviously if, if the membrane is keeping wind from coming in, it's also keeping things from going out, right? So that garment is actually going to hold more of your body heat. It's going to protect that. It's going to utilize your own, you know, your body's a furnace. So it's utilizing that heat that you're producing to actually make the garment warmer as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a twofold benefit, right? You're keeping wind from coming in. You're also trapping, protecting, holding more of that heat that your body's generating to keep yourself warm while you're in the stand. Does it breathe? Like, is it breathable as well? It, it does breathe. It's not going to breathe as much, right, as like its predecessor, which that's mm-hmm. where those pieces like the source or the origin, you know, that I mentioned that White Taylor's puffy jacket or those fleece pieces really come in handy um, because it's a one-two punch, right? You have like your active insulation. So when you're walking into the stand, right, like Sometimes people have a long walk in, sometimes it's short, you know, in certain parts of the country, it's bluff country, you got to climb a little bit of elevation, maybe you're hanging a tree stand, you're doing like a hang and hunt, 
during those activities, your body's generating heat and moisture, right, is the killer of staying warm. So if you're wearing a jacket that doesn't breathe really well um, to do those activities, you're going to soak yourself from the inside out. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, as soon as you become static and you're sitting there, you're going to get cold. Mm-hmm. Where those, you know, transitional um, or active insulation pieces, that's what you can wear into the stand. And like that's your outerwear for more mild temperatures or maybe even the first half an hour that you're in there because your body temperature is up. That's going to allow that heat to move away from your body, right? So that moisture moves away from your body. And then you pair that with a piece like the solitude, like we're talking about, which is a static insulation piece. Um, That goes over top. And now what was your outerwear for your, you know, higher exertion activity becomes like your mid layer. So that's why I always call it like transitional outerwear because it can be both. Um, And the combination of those two pieces in a kit is what's going to keep you the most comfortable, you know, during a hunt, both walk in, then the static period of sitting there, right? And then your walk out. Yeah, I would say that, yeah. like, unless you're just like a super skinny, just like a, a, a like a Stephen Ranella type, bony dude, right? Like, you're not going to hike in anywhere w- with a solitude jacket on, right? You got to know how to use that gear properly. Exactly. I mean, if I have, let's call it a 200-yard walk to a stand that's already set and mm-hmm. I don't have to hang it, I may walk in with that jacket and the zipper open. Sure. Right? Walking very slowly. Exactly. You know, and if I have the bibs on, I am probably have those side zippers all the way open because what I don't want to do is I don't want to build up a bunch of moisture within that clothing system that can't permeate out because that's mm-hmm. what's going to make me colder sooner once I get to the static portion, which is... 99% of a whitetail hunt. Yeah. And man, that's a, it just comes down to moisture management, you know? And, uh, it's, uh, I think it's still something that a lot of people are, are still like learning and figuring out. And it's probably something we'll, I'll work mm-hmm. on for the rest of my life. Right. Is just trying to like dial it in. Cause it just depends on like, yeah. Are you going to do that 200 yards in two minutes? Or maybe you have time to take 20 minutes and like literally not, bring your body temp up at all, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's, I talked to mountaineers that go up, you know, mountains in the winter and they're literally wearing one base layer as they're doing that because it's like he's there's, they say, it doesn't matter if I'm going to get wet from my sweat or I'm going to get wet from the rain or from snow. Like I'm generating so much heat that like, sure, if it gets like crazy windy and stuff, you got to put a shell on, but like that base layer is going to be soaked no matter what. And so they just like their way to manage it is like, it's soaked, but they're working in it. And as soon as they stop, they'll actually just take that off mm-hmm. and put on like a dry one or a dry mid later or whatever, and then put on their insulation, right? And that's how they manage it. For hunters, I think it's a little bit different because you often like that, w- doing that is too much movement, too much uh, noise. You know, you have to, your system has to be able to basically work on the go. And then all of a sudden you get stopped for whatever reason, maybe on your way to the stand, you know, you run into a buck or whatever, or there you see some eyes in the dark and you just have to stand there for 10 minutes yep. and let those deer pass on by. Your system has to keep you warm for those 10 minutes, you know? Um, so anyways, a lot to, like all of us will be figuring that out for some time to come. But uh, mm-hmm. when it's 60 plus the first week in November, it does not make me a happy whitetail hunter. No, no. And it's it's so hit or miss, right? Like, you get that, maybe that 60, especially, you know, I think you're spending the first week of November in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll get one of those every three years where that happens. But man, I tell you what, when that, if it is 60, when that kind of warm front breaks and it gets cold, yeah, there's no better time. Yeah. But yeah. you live in Wisconsin, so you'll be there for it. I will. I'll be heading home already. But yeah. Well, and I think to your point, Yanni, I think... It's something that hunters are continuing to try and figure out. And especially in the whitetail space, I think that concept might be more foreign because our walks in are typically shorter. Mm -hmm. We don't have as long of high exertion periods, but it doesn't make it any less important, right, to manage that moisture. And I think that's why, you know, while windproof outerwear is super exciting, I get almost as excited or more excited about pieces like the origin, right? That like mid-layer fleece piece or the source jacket, like the white tailor's puffy jacket, because those are pieces that I get to utilize my entire season. You know, like the beginning of the season, that's my outerwear. 
they're always with me as I move into the middle of the season or the, even the end of the season. It's like, that's what I'm wearing from the truck into the stand mm-hmm. and I stay super comfortable and dry. And then I get to really put those outerwear pieces, um, together with them to build this like kind of bulletproof system that, you know, when you're only sitting two hours, if you do make a mistake and you get wet and you get cold, it's not the end of the world. You can tough it out, yeah. but it's just not as enjoyable. You're mentally not there as much, right? Cause you're thinking about being cold. Um, you know, it's harder to execute a shot. So any of those things that can tip, you know, or change the percentage of your comfort, even just a little bit can be a big deal, especially in the first week of November when, you know, you should be sitting in the stand all day. Going into like the sanctuary, is there a point, at what point would you recommend people purchase a sanctuary over the solitude? Yeah. Um, or transition to that if they are able to have both pieces? That's a great question. I mean, my cutoff is always like right about freezing. So if it's below, you know, 32 degrees Fahrenheit and I have the sanctuary available, that's what I'm going for. Like that's the high. Yeah, that's the high, right? So anything above that, I don't even touch it. Um, However, you know, what I do tell people as well is like if you want to build a really versatile system, you know, if you add, call it the source puffy jacket, which we've been talking about, to the solitude, that's essentially bringing it to the level of the sanctuary. So if Mm. you paired those two pieces together in a kit, it's like you kind of have that source jacket, which is your earlier season outerwear piece. You you transition to the solitude by itself for kind of your Super Bowl, right? That like rut-ish time in most Midwest states. And then if you do end up hunting some late season, you can pair that back with the solitude to, you know, get it to the level of the sanctuary. If you're doing a lot of late season stuff, like consistently sitting 20 and below, you're not going to be at the sanctuary. It's just insanely warm. It's the best piece out there. But there are some ways to kind of accomplish that level of insulation with a more of a system or a kit, right? Um, but that's kind of always, you know, to answer your original question, that's kind of always my, like my cutoff point is like below freezing, sanctuaries obviously the best bet anywhere before that, you know, you can kind of use the solitude with other base and mid layers to accomplish what you need. Nice. Yeah. That's exactly what I wore last year. The day I killed my buck is I had a, like a wick base layer. I had my source jacket and then I put on one side dried out, you know, from my walk and I had a good walk. Like I thought it was going to be like half an hour, 45 minutes. And I think it ended up being like an hour 15 and uh, was plenty warm enough by the time I got to the tree, which then I had to, you know, put sticks in and climb up into. So, but uh, yeah, once I dried out, I put my solitude on. It was comfy all day. Yeah, that's a super, I mean, what you just mentioned is, I mean, that's kind of my go-to. You know, that's a really versatile kit that's going to take up the majority of your season as a whitetail hunter. All right, let's move on because we got we gonna need to know more about the uh, the source jacket. Um the fleece, to me, is like a fleece. I mean, we, you can check it out. It's, we've had it out for a whole year now, right? Since last fall, right? The origin? Nope. Just, no. Tr- just oh, dropped. spring it came out. Yep. Yep. Just dropped this spring. That's right. Okay. We've been using it for, for that long. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's cool. It's got like a built-in face mask. It's got the hoodie. It's got built-in uh, thumb loops. It's got a little kangaroo pocket for keeping your hands warm. But to me, it's not as exciting as a source jacket. So tell me like... Tell me the build on this source jacket. Yeah, so um, it's the White Taylor's puffy jacket, right? Puffy jackets are great. We all know them um, because of their warmth to weight ratio, mm-hmm. meaning that they're very light, they're very packable, but they provide a lot of warmth, you know, for that smaller, lightweight package. Inherently, if you think about the characteristics of a traditional puffy jacket, they're not great for whitetail hunting because they're not super durable um, and they're loud. Those are two things that, as whitetail hunters, we need. We need durability in our gear, and we need it to be quiet. So what we did with the the source is solve both of those problems. Um, we built a synthetically insulated puffy jacket. Um, it has 80 grams of Primaloft gold stretch insulation in it. Um, we used a really durable face fabric, so you don't have to worry about walking through brush. Um, you know, if you get caught in a thicket on your way into the stand in the dark, or you're dragging a deer out, or you're hanging a stand, um, it's meant to do all those things. It's going to hold up to it. Um, so that's where the durability comes in. It's a really quiet face fabric. Um, and then, you know, stretch insulation, stretch lining. So you get a piece that can pack down, you know, pretty small. It can live in your pack all season. 
Um, it's your outerwear kind of early season and more mild temperatures. And then, you know, like you said, Yanni, in November last year, it's like a solitude goes great over it when you get into some of those colder temperatures. So the best way I can describe it is like, it's a quiet, durable, you know, versatile, like mid layer in the early season. And then, or excuse me, outerwear in the early season and mid layer in the late season. Where do you, cause where do you think it falls sort of on like a uh, wind resistant scale? Yeah. That's a great question. So, you know, I was talking about static versus active insulation. You know, static, you want to trap all of your body heat. You want it to be shut down because you're not moving. So you really need to conserve and save all that body heat. Mm-hmm. Where like an active insulation piece, you want it to keep you warm because it's, you know, it's cold enough that you're wearing insulation, but you need it to breathe. Now, this is really a pursuit-specific jacket, I would say. Like if you're a Western hunter your active insulation needs to be extremely breathable because Mm -hmm. you're doing a very high exertion activity, like climbing up a mountain, you know, putting on a lot of miles for whitetailers. We need our active insulation to breathe, but not quite as much, right? It's almost like it needs to be breathable, but it still needs to block some wind. It still needs to be a little bit more shut down. So what we really did is we didn't target, we didn't try and build this piece for a Western hunter. We built this piece to be breathable enough for whitetail hunts, mm-hmm. but also be, you know, somewhat shut down enough where when you're wearing it as outerwear, you're not feeling the slightest breeze come through that piece. So I really call this like whitetailers active insulation. I like it. And I would agree with that too. Like we're in Wisconsin. I had, it was, it worked perfect. I did, I did test it you know, what cat hunting this winter and did some like mega hikes in it. And definitely like I could tell that I was putting more moisture into it than it could handle, you know, drying out or, or breathing as we say, you know, I think yeah. another way, it's a good way to look at like breathability is basically you're saying like how far fast a garment will dry. Yeah. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause it's just like how much air will, will move through it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I did. If if you're gonna go like hu- still hunting all day and plan on putting like miles and miles in, I guess it always depends on just how much you're exerting, right? If you're not doing a lot of exertion, it's great. But like, if you're gonna like be like huffing and puffing, like you're saying, going up a mountain, you probably want to look at something that's a little more breathable, right? Well, and that's what's cool about this piece too, because like it was built for that specific hunter, right? Like right. this was built for the amount of exertion a whitetail hunter is going to do. And like I hunt in Western Wisconsin a lot too. It's, you know, driftless area, bluff country. Mm-hmm. And I can easily, you know, hike up and down a few ridges in this thing, hang a set in it. And I'm not soaked through because right. it's breathable enough for those activities. Mm-hmm. And then when I climb into the stand, it's not going to let every single bit of breeze come through. It shuts that down a little bit. Um, it's really, you know, it's built for those activities. Wasn't there like another uh, layer in there, or maybe that's just part of the Primaloft gold, but another layer that actually like reflects your heat back to you in that jacket? Not in that one. So oh, it's not in that one. Not in that one. No. So um, there are with you know certain Primaloft insulations, or you can just add them in like what's called a scrim. Um, and what that scrim does is two things, like. To not to go too far into the weeds, but even synthetic insulations, they're built like a sheet, right? So it's all these fibers that are woven together and you can, you know, it comes on a roll, you can unroll it and essentially looks like a sheet of fabric, but it's lofted. Um, even those fibers, they'll migrate through some textiles. So like, you know, on your down puffy jacket, sometimes you get little feathers coming through at the sure. seams or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, when you build a down jacket, you have to have a downproof textile to keep mm-hmm. those feathers from migrating through. But even synthetic fibers can migrate through textiles. So if you don't have, you know, a textile that is resistant to that migration, you have to put a scrim in there to keep those fibers from migrating through. And a scrim is basically just another layer. Another layer, yeah. Some scrims, like you just mentioned, will actually reflect body heat back to you as well. So you're capturing more of that, but that gets more into like a static insulation piece because you don't want to be capturing more heat when you're trying to do something active in a piece. Got it. Cool. Nice. Could you roll through those those insulations again in that source jacket and talk about the Primaloff Gold a little bit more? Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, basically the, the sandwich of that is kind of a durable um, stretch face fabric. 
Then it's the Primaloft Gold insulation. So it's a Primaloft Gold stretch, which is really important because this piece is meant to move with you and not against you, um, especially because you're layering it under other outerwear. You want that piece to move and stretch so you don't get the like Michelin Man effect where you feel like you can't move your arms. Um, so that stretch is really, really important. The other thing that is important with stretch is because you're sometimes wearing that as a mid-layer and sometimes wearing it as outerwear, you want to be able to put different amounts of stuff underneath it, right? So Yanni mentioned that he just had a wick underneath it. Um, you want it to fit comfortably um, and be, you know, athletic and trim in that situation, but you also want to be able to say wear your wick and then maybe an origin hoodie or a kiln hoodie and still be able to wear that jacket on top. So that's where the stretch is really, really important in a piece like that. Um, and I guess kind of just for reference, so there's, it's 80 grams of insulation or 80 GSMs, grams per square meter. Um, so like the solitude, for example, has a hundred, um, the sanctuary has 200. So if you kind of put it in the spectrum of those pieces, it's our most lightly insulated, um, piece in our cat, in the category of whitetail insulation. Nice. Does it come in solids? It does not. Oh, killing me, Greg. <laughs> I would, I'm going to wear a little bit as my, as just an everyday jacket in inspector, but you know, if you could get me one in, uh, the gray, I bet you I would wear it even more as my everyday jacket. Cause I think that jacket has the, uh, capability to, because I, I wear like basically a lightweight, like a lot of times I wear the Brooks, Yep. you know, and yep. to be in something a little bit softer to the hand, I think I would like that better. You know, I wear mine a lot as a, the everyday Pete, well. Not the one that I wear into the woods, but I have one that I wear as an everyday piece as well. But yeah, I mean, you're definitely towing the casual camo line, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't have it in solids. But and you don't wear the one you take in the woods because of scent. Correct. Yeah, you're, you're pretty hardcore on the scent. I am. I am very hardcore. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Didn't you build, build in some pretty specific 
sent uh, technology into these pieces? Yeah, so most of our synthetic pieces in the whitetail line um, have what's called a, a high Q treatment. So high Q is an antimicrobial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people have heard of like polygene. Um, it's a very similar. So it's a treatment um, that goes onto these textiles, and what it does is it inhibits the growth of bacteria. So when you go out into the field, you know, you sweat, you're perspirating, whether it's actual, you know, whether you're sweating in the liquid form or whether you're putting off, you know, gaseous perspiration, like maybe not the liquid form yet. It creates a moisture rich environment Mm -hmm. that's good for bacteria to grow. Bacteria is what inherently causes scent, right? So if you can inhibit the growth of bacteria, you can limit or prolong how long it takes before those garments start to smell. Um, so that's one piece of technology that's going to help with scent. Mm-hmm. The other one is, you know, a lot of, if you go through, and I'm not, we don't need to go through the whole list, but if you're, say you're on the website looking at whitetail pieces, if you notice anything that's built with a 37.5 technology, um, that's a fiber that's used to build fabrics that we build into these techno- or into these garments. And the 37.5 fibers, essentially what they're doing is um, they're actually also inhibiting the growth of bacteria or like the attachment of odor um, at the particle level. So it's kind of a one-two punch with those technologies. Now, that doesn't mean these garments are going to be scent free, right? At the end of the day, we as human beings have a scent to us. We smell to animals, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And you can never eliminate that 100%. I mean, I'm sure you guys remember the days of like carbon suits and things like that, right? Um, And I'm a firm believer in scent control. I still don't think you can fool the nose of a mature whitetail, you know, if the wind's blowing right at them, they're still going to smell you. But I think you can do things to stack the odds in your favor where maybe if you get like a questionable wind and he would have picked you up if you didn't do those things, you know, you might get away with something. Sure. It buys you a second or two and, exactly. and maybe that's all you needed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Give me the quick and dirty for your scent control system. Um, so first and foremost, it's not getting those garments into contact with human odors as much as possible. So storing them in scent-free containers, you know, I'm not taking these things on and off in my like, house, you, in my do garage. You buy, do you buy those like actual, like made for white tailors, scent-free containers? Or you just use like a Rubbermaid tote? I actually kind of made my own. So I took a Rubbermaid tote and essentially take like a a rubber gasket um, and put it around the lid so it keeps air from moving in and out. Um, So I do that. Like I always keep those in the back of my truck. They never come in my truck with me. Um, I always get dressed in the field. So I pull up to my spot. I'm pulling that bin out of my truck. I'm getting dressed in the field. Um, And it's just... For me, it's eliminating as many touch points as possible, right, where foreign odor could get in contact with those garments. Mm-hmm. Um, I do treat my garments with ozone. Ozone O3 is the chemical makeup of it. It's what you smell like when it rains. Because I don't know how nerdy you want to get in science here, but basically O3 or ozone, it's, um, it's not a stable compound because oxygen likes to exist in O2. That's the oxygen we breathe. So an O3 molecule, basically what happens like from the scientific standpoint is it doesn't last very long as an ozone molecule. That's why like when it rains, you smell it, mm-hmm. right? And then very soon after you don't smell it anymore. Because what happens is- Why when, do you smell it when it's raining? So ozone has a, a like a scent to it. That's kind of what you smell when it's raining. But why is it present in the when it's raining? I think it has to do, and don't quote me on this, but- What's happening, especially when there's a thunderstorm and there's lightning, you're putting energy into a system and it's causing some of these molecules to bind together that normally wouldn't. I don't know the exact science behind like the rainstorm or thunderstorm, but I know that something with putting energy into that system, this so molecule it sort of creates created. this O3. Yeah. You smell it. Yeah. Rainstorm goes away. It goes back to being mostly O2. You don't smell it. Because one of those oxygen molecules will come off of that, right? Right. So you end up with one O2 and one oxygen by itself, which mm. it also doesn't like to exist as. So that's going to bond to another oxygen molecule where the same thing happened, right? But that process of that one oxygen molecule kind of ripping off O3 and becoming O2, right? That one that's, it's like a radical, a free radical, I believe is what it's called. 
um, because it doesn't like to be by itself, it's trying to bind to things. And that process of that free radical oxygen molecule, that's what's neutralizing odors or killing bacteria. So you can use, you know, some people use ozone in their stand, like an ozone generator, and they try and use it to mask their scent, right? That's a little machine that goes above them and dumps mm-hmm. oxygen like in the wind stream, so it's to mask their scent. Um, but from a, like treating a clothes standpoint, it's going to eliminate um, or neutralize some of those odors that might be in your garment. So that's another thing. Is I that do. a wash in? No, it's a little, it's like a generator. It's a, um, a little electronic machine. That so you just stick it in the bin with your clothes or, or mm-hmm. how do you get it on the clothes? Yeah. Or there's like, you know, there's companies like, um, Ozonics that make like lockers, right. Mm-hmm. Where you can like hang all your clothes in there. And then there's a bunch of companies that make systems. I've kind of just made my own. Um, so that's do one thing. Do you wash your clothes? Too. I typically don't wash them unless they're like dirty, um, from getting blood on them or super muddy or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like I'll wash them maybe once or twice a season. Um, but the reason for that is just to basically enhance the performance of a textile. Like I'm sure you guys have heard like rainwear doesn't work great when it's dirty, right? Because mm-hmm. mud is clogging the pores and yep. it doesn't allow the garment to work as effectively. Some of the technologies that are in these white tail pieces, the same thing. So you want to keep your gear clean. But for me, that's a touch point where it's like, I have to bring it into my house. I have to wash it, right? So like it's coming in contact with those other odors, which it's more important for me to avoid than like having some, a little bit of mud or blood on my clothes. So I try and limit that to just, you know, maybe once or twice a season. I'm still, I'm old school. I still like to, uh, so right right now my whole solitude kit is in a duffel bag, which is probably, I should probably get a better bin for it, but it's in a duffel bag and there's like a couple pine boughs and maybe like, I don't know, a couple dozen oak leaves. Yep in it and then when i get it to camp i'll probably i should probably just leave it at camp in wisconsin but i always feel like something's going to come up i'm going to need it out here but then when i get there i put it on a hanger and we have like a giant like i don't know it's probably 60 by you know 20 some foot deck but it's covered i just hang all my stuff on hangers and then just let that's where it just lives during the whole hunt it's like it just lives out on the deck. We don't cook out there. No one's smoking these cigarettes. And the, so the breeze is just constantly on it. Yep. And I just feel like it sort of just absorbs the environment around it. Yeah, it smells like what's there, right? Yeah, I mean, the yeah. woods are like 10 feet away when it's when it's sitting there under that deck. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's got their system. And I'm not by any means claiming that mine is right. It's just like, I think confidence going into the field is a big thing. And oh, this yeah. is what makes me the most mm-hmm. confident. It's like, I'm trying to stack, you know, any little odd in my favor. Cause like, if you do a couple things and each thing maybe changes your odds, like one percentage point, it's like, well, after a while you're 10% better, mm-hmm. 5% better. Right. And that could give you that extra second or two seconds. Like you were just talking about. Yeah. There's nothing worse, man. than seeing like a doe, Ugh. uh, pick up on your, either like your trail that you walked or I had a doe two years ago Walked like she was coming in just fine, just fine, just fine. And she literally got within, you know, two feet maybe of the tree I was in. And I think she smelled the step Mm -hmm. or she smelled my boot on the step. I don't know. Or maybe she smelled just me climbing up the tree, but she got so close to that tree that something off the tree she smelled. And it like, I don't know for sure if it cost me, but she left. And then like 10 minutes later, I think it was the same doe with a big buck behind her is she's getting rutted down below me. And it looked as though the buck was trying to push her towards me, but she took a circuitous route and kind of left the bull, you know, where where normally I don't see deer moving. And I just wonder if like, man, that was it. Like it, it cost me. She smelled my step, you know? Yeah. I've had them even too, where it's like, you know, you bring four steps into the woods because you're going to hang a set and you don't know how many you'll need and you only end up needing three mm. and you make the mistake of like leaving the fourth one at the base of the tree. Yep. And I've had a doe come in and like peg that step at the base of the tree. And, you know, to your point too, it's like filter off or whatever, but it's incredible. I mean, obviously it's their best asset in terms of keeping themselves safe. So. All right. Transfer pack. About, yeah. about time, Greg. Yeah. We needed a white tail pack. <laughs> Windproof and white tail pack, right? Yeah. So this has been another one that's been, to your point, a long time coming. Uh, we've been building this thing for over two years now. Um, 
and really we wanted our foray into whitetail packs to check, you know, 99% of the boxes for the people that are going to use it. I think packs are somewhat like boots where they're specific to people, right? Like everybody has specific needs or wants. Some people want a wide boot. Some people want a narrow boot. You know, some people want their pack to be able to carry a tree stand. Some people don't. So figuring out a way where, you know, we could build a pack that does all of those things. And then you can choose to utilize the features that are important to you. Okay. If you need a day pack, right, because you're walking into a pre-hung set or blind and it's not that far, it functions really well as that. If you're a guy that's, you know, doing a lot of hanging hunts um, or a gal that's running a saddle and, you know, taking your sets in and out every time, like it's going to function really well for that too. So I would say it's it's the most feature-rich whitetail pack on the market with regards to what it can do. It can haul a tree stand. It can haul sticks. It can haul your bow. Um, but it can also, um, compartmentalize the stuff that we as whitetail hunters need to bring into the field to keep yourself organized. Um, and really it was designed around this process that we all do as whitetail hunters and making that process the most efficient. So, you know, we pull into our spot, we get our stuff out of our vehicle and we're packing that pack at the truck. Then we go into the woods and whether we're hanging a, a tree stand, climbing up into a saddle or climbing up into an existing set, we have to get that pack into the tree, right? And then we unpack it. And then we reverse that process going out. So what we wanted to do is design a tool that was efficient for all those processes. And it was built, you know, with that order of operations in mind. But then also something that was a, a tool that was helpful in all those situations. Because you can design something that works really well for getting gear into the field and out of the field. But if it doesn't help you when you're in the tree you know, what's the point of bringing it in? So something that functioned as well or as much, became as much of a tool for you while you were in the tree as it was getting things in and out of out of the woods. I like it. So tell me, it'll carry, you'll say, it's, it'll carry my sticks and my yep. platform, no yep. problem. And then inside it'll carry my snacks, my coffee, extra layer, Yep. Can I carry my solitude jacket and bibs you could, on it, in it somehow? You can shove, you could squeeze both your bibs and your jacket into it. It would be tight. That's probably about max capacity uh-huh. if you didn't have a lot Where of Where am I going to put my snacks and my thermos? So what I would do, and I'm glad you brought this up, is um, there's also a bunch of molly paneling on there as well as some other lashing points because I like to actually walk in with my layers not in my pack but outside my pack, mm-hmm. because that way when I get to my spot, I can put my layers on and I don't ever have to open my pack until I get up into the tree. Yep. So we have some lashing straps that are attached um, for multiple purposes, carrying layers, carrying your bow. Um, but there's also molly paneling on the sides and the bottom where you could use like a gear strap um, to attach other things as well if you want the pack to be more modular. Okay. Does it have a load-bearing hip belt? It does. So it actually has an internal frame. Um, and one of the problems with, you know, a lot of whitetail packs on the market is you can attach, say, a bow or a tree stand to the back of the pack, the outermost portion. Mm-hmm. But the problem is you're then putting all of your weight at the furthest point mm-hmm. away from your body and that pack becomes really uncomfortable. Yep. So what we've done with this pack is it actually has a back panel with an internal frame, a load carrying frame. And you can actually remove the bag from that frame with one zipper. You attach your tree stand to the actual load-bearing portion of it, which that frame runs into a hip belt. And then you can reattach the bag very simply. Um, you kind of create this sandwich o- over around the your top tr- of your tree stand. Yep. You can create this sandwich so it's like back panel, tree stand, pack. If you choose to carry one into the field, if you don't, then that pack mm-hmm. just always lives right next to that back panel. And like I said, it's one zipper to attach it. So it's not a bunch of straps. It's not a bunch of, you know, clipping things Does on. Does the zipper go on. like in a horseshoe? Yep. It's a U-shaped zipper that goes all the way so around. So if there's a tree stand in there, though, how does the, it then close? So once you, say you separate the bag from the back panel, yep. there's straps to attach the tree stand to that back panel. Mm-hmm. When you go to put the bag back on, um, it attaches via a, a strap system at that point. I see. So the zipper is really only engaged when, when you're not using that yep. function. Yep, exactly. 
Sweet. Um, but even when you go to the way the pack is designed, um, and there's some quote unquote load lifters that are part of the system, even when you go to put the pack back on, if you're using it in tree stand carry mode, you still have the ability to connect those load lifters from the pack to the actual frame. So all of that weight is being transferred to the frame and the back panel, which makes it really comfortable to carry a stand and sticks and gear. You don't feel like that thing's constantly pulling you back and you're fighting against it. Nice. So I got my stand. Yep. Or maybe for me, it'd be my, my, uh, my sticks and my uh, platform in there. I get to the tree, take those out of there. Then is that zipper quiet enough where I can close that pack back up and then not spook definitely any deer in the area? Yep. And that's the great thing is once you take those things off, I mean, a lot of times we're at the base of our tree and what? It's dark because totally. we're either going in or we're coming out. So all you have to do is one zipper and that thing's reattached. You're not trying to loop straps through. Um, you're not trying to you know clip things back together. The other thing that one of my favorite parts is... Um, Let's say you're in tree stand carry mode, right? So you take your stand off of there. Mm-hmm. You always have all those straps then that you use to attach that stand mm-hmm. to the back panel. What do you do with those when it's cold and it's dark? It's always a pain trying to roll them up, get them organized, right? Get them back in there. So we actually built in, it's like a stretch pocket, like a big mesh stretch pocket. And all of those straps, you can just shove right in that pocket. You don't have to worry about rolling them up or lashing them down. So it's really... You know, all those small parts and pieces, it's like, how can we do this as easy as possible, as quiet as possible in the dark on my way in or way out, right? And they were just, those straps would just live yep. in that stretch pocket yep. always. Yep. So, so then, you're, you're, it's not like at home, you got to then roll it up and mm-mm. tuck them away. That's just how they live. Yep. And they're color coordinated. So you have two horizontal straps, two vertical straps. They're color coordinated. So when you do pull them out of that pocket, you know exactly which one goes to which. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to figure mm-hmm. that out. And they just live there. Awesome. Okay. Next, uh, this is really important for me, is how does that pack attach to the tree once I'm up in there? Great question. So you have two options. Um, option one, which is the way I like to use it is there's a hanger loop, a reinforced loop on the, um, lid of the pack. So basically the top point of the lid, um, and you can do that in a number of ways. You can, I've hung it off of my last stick. I sometimes bring an extra tree step in or hook that I screw into the tree. I can hang it off of there. Um, certain companies, um, make like a strap system, you know, like tethered has their hiss strap, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can hang stuff off. There. Yeah. That's usually what I do. Yep. You can hang it right off of there with a the carabiner. And the cool thing about hanging it from that point is that it's going to hold your lid open and the entire pack hangs off of that lid. So it essentially turns into like a bucket in the tree. Mm-hmm. So the inside of the pack is exposed. You have access to all of these, there's seven internal mesh pockets Um, for keeping stuff organized. So you can get into all of those things very easily. You're essentially just like reaching next to you into this like bucket, if you will. Um, Or if it's, let's say it's, you know, raining or light snow and you don't want that precipitation getting into that pack. There's another very similar hanger loop at the base of the lid, closer to the back panel. Mm -hmm. If you hang it from that, the lid will then naturally cover up that bucket to keep your rain or snow or precipitation out of your gear that's inside of it. What's the, what's the closure for the lid? It's a, just like a, a side release buckle. Okay. Yep. Yep. And that's adjustable too. So if you have for like your earlier example, where you want to put your solitude bibs and jacket in there, you can adjust, um, that lid closure to be as tight or as loose as you want. So you can actually add some volume or capacity to that or suck it in, right? If you're just using it as like an early season day pack and don't have much stuff in there. So it does have some variability in, you know, essentially how much room you have in that thing based off of, you know, how you kind of suck that lid in as well as the compression straps on the side. Nice. Sweet. I'm excited to try it. Oh yeah. I can't wait. Uh, what about exterior fabric? I mean, you must've made it quiet, right? Yeah. So the exterior fabric is actually the same face fabric that you'll see on the solitude or sanctuary or whitetail catalyst. Hmm. So we all know how quiet those pieces are. You know, your pack's going to be just as quiet. 
whether you're brushing up against it, you know, you're pulling things in and out of it, um, you know, you're getting into the tree, that pack is essentially as quiet as your outerwear, which is obviously hugely important for, for us um, when we're up in the tree. Sweet. Back to the, uh, back to the windproofing real quick, Greg, are yeah. we going to see that in other garments? Yeah. So right now, um, as I mentioned, like you're seeing that in our outerwear systems, um, our insulated outerwear systems, solitude and sanctuary. Um, but that being said, you know, we're on a, on a long term two year plus development product cycle. And I think, you know, it is of utmost importance for me and for us to continue to explore what other pieces that may be appropriate in. Um, and that's something that's, you know, always on, on top of mind, um, and that we're looking into, but for right now, um, it is in basically insulated outerwear. And the reason for that is it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, like those active versus passive insulation pieces Mm -hmm. and time of year, you know, typically if it's warm enough that you're not wearing a solitude, um, you know, so it's 50 or above that wind matters a little less and being able to dump heat on your way in because it is warmer matters more, right? So it's, it's choosing the appropriate places to have the windproofing and the appropriate places to have, you know, a little bit more breathability and moisture management in those garments. Got it. I'm going to be pushing hard for a soft shell with the, with your quiet windproof layer in it. Windproof soft shell? Mm-hmm. I'll add it to my notes. Yeah, you... Matt DeRozier's Ben Flandro. You guys aren't gonna hear the end of hear the me quit squeaking until I get to try one of those on. So we'll know we did our job when you quit squeaking. That's right. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, thanks so much for uh, coming on to the Gear Talk podcast and telling us all about uh, the brand new, exciting First Light Whitetail gear. I'm, uh, I'm really appreciative of uh, the work you've done over there at First Light last few years in uh, the Whitetail category, man. We've, uh, like, I hear a lot of people saying that they're really stoked with their uh, First Light Whitetail gear. And uh, this is all, although I don't get to pound it as, you know, in it as much as like Taylor Chamberlain, the, the little bit that I've gotten to use it, you know, I've probably got 30 days in it. Like, I've definitely been happy with it too. So good work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming by and, uh, hopefully all you listening got to, uh, got to learn something, especially about moisture management and, uh, breathability and windproofness. But if there are other things you want to hear us, Jordan and I talk about, you can send questions to via email, geartalk at themeateater.com. And then also we have a page on the Meat Eater website which you're just going to, you can either go to the podcast tab and hover over it and then find Gear Talk. Or you can just search Gear Talk. But we're going to have a comment section there underneath each episode. And uh, if there's like a follow-up question from this episode, or if there's just, like I said, whatever you want to hear us talk about or dive into, you know, put your questions there, comments there, and uh, we'll do our best to answer them, at least hit on them somehow. And uh, that'll be the place, too, that once we start sort of asking you guys maybe to chip in on some of this upcoming whitetail or any kind of first light gear, for that matter, mm-hmm. um, that'll be the place where we're going to have the this conversation about, uh, you know, what you guys might want to see as far as, like, features or pieces of gear that first light doesn't offer yet. So there you go. Either geartalk at com or go to the Meteor website and go to the podcast uh, tab and then find the Gear Talk page. Thanks for listening. Sweet. See you next time. Yeah. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.
Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.